Right, this is going to be another episode of the Know It Alls of CS. So me and Tommy are back. And for this one, we thought a big topic we could tackle. Spoiler, it's going to be a financial slash economic episode. So already you just heard a thousand like mice. Just <laughs> click up to the right-hand corner and click the little X. Like, yeah, you know what? Maybe I just save this one. No, it's actually going to be interesting because the problem is, I know you all think that's boring, but that's why you don't know anything about CSGO. And you're all just saying mad stuff like, the players should have even more salary or like, just Get good players up. Get sponsors. Just sell fallen jerseys and recoup all the money. I just know that you guys, you desperate. It's not what you want, but it's what you need, guys. You need to know some of the economic principles. Otherwise, you just talk out your ass, unfortunately. And I know that because I used to talk out my ass when all I knew was the players and stuff. Like I would do the same thing everyone does, where like I would look at a lineup like G two and go, just cut like three players and sign more. It's like, bro, they spent like fucking what a million dollars like in the last year. Like they can't just keep signing players. You you have to have a budget. So one thing we thought we'd address is a big topic which is the whole partner team system like to some extent the Louvre system although to be fair ESL's it's a lot more open like if you just top I don't know 20 in the world you basically get invited you go on the plane but obviously the most pressing one is the blast partner system because there's only the 12 teams in it and it just so happens at the moment not that many of them are that good at the moment so that's why you saw because of the major people are spinning this narrative that like oh all the Bad teams are sort of protected in the partner system, ergo maybe it's bad, and then they don't know the revenue angle, and then they want it to be totally open again, which is literally what we had before all the flashpoints and the agreements and PEA was even suspect like uh, hypothesized, which is what we used to have in CS, but spoiler, all the margins were way lower, weren't they? It was a way different scene. So let's start it out, Tommy. Where should we start here on this on this partner topic? So I think I think the place is to just like discuss the partner system at a high level and then like go into another point, which I haven't seen really discussed. I think I've made it like once or twice before on Twitter, but most of the, um, around the time when CS2 was announced, I think maybe it was Richard, um, who posted a report saying something to the effect of like Valve is unhappy with the partner yes. system, which like we all know, like we, yes. you know, we've heard that for years. Uh, for the record, for the people who are not aware, like they're also unhappy with the HLTV ranking. Like they don't like the fact that it's circular. So, you know, like if you're highly ranked, it's hard to churn out because you get easier opponents, you qualify for playoffs, you yes. stay high ranked. You know, it's like a virtuous cycle. Um, and like on the other side, like you make a new team, it's hard to break back in. Um, less of a problem for someone like Nobby, who technically are not ranked now, given all the changes, because they're still going to get to all the ESLs, uh, the blast tournaments, and they're going to get to the whatever the major qualification system next time it's stuff through. Oh, through, by the uh, way, just at the beginning, just for the sake of disclosure, obviously Tommy used to be involved with MIBR, but he actually isn't now. Uh, yeah. But, what, so you obviously, you are involved to some degree with ENTS and they do want to be in the... So just for disclosure, just so people know what our biases are. Yeah, I, I actually had it on my notes. Oh, here, go on then. Um, but, uh, but forgot to do it. Yeah, so... Uh, I am one of the co-founders of ENS. I own some of the equity. I have never held a day-to-day -day role. Right. Uh, I think I was technically listed as a director in like the early years. Like technically I have no, like I own a piece of the equity. I have no role. I have no involvement in any of the operations. Uh, I've never really had any involvement in like the day-to-day -day operations. Um, MIBR, I haven't, I've worked for the company that own MIBR uh, on a, like an operating role until mid 2021, or I guess like, publicly until September 2021. And then I was sort of overseeing the people who were managing it until March of this year. I don't work for MIBR, okay. though I also own some equity in MIBR. Okay. Uh, anyway, so get that out of the way. Back to the part of the shit yeah. thing. Yeah. So 
you know, when so when that came out, we saw a bunch of the people, including, you know, like the quote unquote talking heads. So, you know, analysts, et cetera, talking about how the partner system is bad. Um, and that obviously peaked up speed after the major because so many kind of unknown teams made it deep, uh, made deep playoff runs just because of how the, you know, we can talk about the reasons. I don't think it really matters. I don't think that's very representative of like what is likely to happen going forward. But like that picked up steam. Um, so the I think the premise that you originally texted me about was an old tweet talking about um, just sort of like where it's going. And what I said is, I think where the where Counter Strike, as it's currently structured, is almost certainly going to go, is that your kind of halves are going to be the teams that are either in ESL and Blast, or at least one of the two, and then also are good enough to like generally make it to the major, so you get the sticker money. And the have-nots are the teams that are not, and the reason is. If you believe there's correlation between how much you're spending in players and your performance, which like we can argue over how much, there almost certainly has to be. There's, there's, there's at least a loose one. It's probably a medium at yeah. minimum, isn't it? And if you yeah. do your job right, it should be a very strong one. Like if you look at how football and NBA yeah. works, you know. I, I, I think the way to think about it is like if you have the best players, it's very high correlation. Like yes. simple is getting you there. Uh, if you if you're overspending on like bad players on like on the fringes, sure. like 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 let's just say like if you were a team like complexity before they got a leash i mean they were in like they were a partner team but like that would have been a team that probably paid like a decent amount of money but like still wasn't didn't right. have like the big names yes. that kind of like guarantee you yeah like that's a, like that's a good example so like that's where there's less of a correlation uh, but so if we think about it like the teams that are in both esl and blast uh, depending on how the revenue share ranks like where they get you know in like the perform performance-based function I think like the lowest you can make if you're in both is like must be something like three quarters of a million a year by now. I think players get like some small portion of that, uh, like directly outside of salaries, at least on the ESL side. And then uh, and then like they'll get something from stickers from teams um, that has gotten a lot better in the industry used to be that like players just got all the stickers, even though it's actually team stickers. Like that's literally yep. the team's brand. Like yep. it's a, like, that's what you pay the players for to like build your brand. If you're yes. not monetizing that, like why, like you don't have a business. Um, I mean, if people don't know the analogy like, there, because obviously there isn't an equivalent of stickers in sports is that would be like if LeBron just got all the money from the Lakers jerseys as well. But it's like, correct. well, we pay you to play it so we can sell the jerseys and we make the money, you know? <laughs> correct. Correct. <laughs> Uh, but so, so if you're one of the teams that has the money, like you can always buy the best players because yes. you have, you have much more money to spend without you. So like, if you compare to somebody who, let's just say Gamer Legion, who made a deep run at the You can argue this obviously just happened. Obviously. They've obviously picked off all the, yeah. the breach of the Gamer Legion and the best players Correct. are going. Yeah. Correct. So if you think about them, like they can't afford to pay high salaries because they don't get the, they don't get the revenue share. They got the sticker money because they don't have high salaries. I'm guessing they actually got to keep most of it. It's Probably, more like yeah. a performance bonus than like in lieu of salary rather than yes. like what covers the salary is what I'm guessing. And so as a result, like they get picked apart because that is not a good system. Um, on the other hand, like if you're one of the teams that are in the leagues, like you can just afford to pay so much more. So like if you think about the the most popular teams, say like Navi or G2, I'm guessing that they clear, you know, like a million and a half a year. So now Probably. like to put you, stick money as well, yeah, for two yeah. majors, yeah. Like yeah, so like now like even if we think even if we say that for whatever reason you could only get same amount of sponsorship dollars in for in this example, complexity and G2 or Navi, like regardless of who the players are and regardless of the brand, the sponsorship money was the same. G2 could still spend million and a half more a year in salaries uh, just to break even. And so yes. 
like if you think about that, it just makes it impossible for the teams outside of the context to compete. Like this is the problem that people have. Like this is the problem that I think makes the system like a little bit flawed in some in some ways. I think the like getting the good teams to go in there without having to play like a minefield of qualification systems. I think that's good. Um, I think like you it's should essentially want things to pay for. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I think you should, you know, I think you should find a way to like involve other teams more in Blast. Like the reason that MIBR sold the Blast Lut, which is like one of the last things that I that I did there in some capacity. Um, was like, yeah, was that if you were in Blast, the revenue share was good, but like it was actually not helpful to you as a team if your team wasn't good. Like right. MIBR didn't have a good roster. So like, I think when I looked at it before we, before we sold this lot, we had played something like, you know, it's like, 10 maps 10 matches a year for all a blast and like you want to have your team play more because like indirectly you're monetizing the viewership yes. like if your team plays every day of the year you have more stuff to i can tell you the team that makes the example and i have an obvious bias but just a fact i'm quoting reality is evil geniuses because they kept coming last in all the blasts and pro leagues and stuff tommy if you look how many tournaments they played last year it'd blow your mind mate they played something mad like eight or nine lands like and that includes like blast groups here because all they were doing was like rmrs and these lands and then go to like a plane of having to get knocked out like if you come last place it actually probably wasn't even worth the fucking money they were paying yeah, and, and also for, I mean, I mean, it looked like definitely wasn't worth the money that they were paying, but like they were getting paid to be the first ones jumping in. Like the yes. payments are to some extent, like they are what was set up years ago. And like at some point the payments, you know, ESL now has tons of money. So I don't, I don't think they're going to like upset the Apple cart. I just not worth the risk. But I think if you're a blast, you have to start inching those payments down. The other thing that, that was problematic with blast is you play essentially just single elimination, best of three, sometimes double elim, but like you just play two games. And like, you know, like if you're a low seeded team, you play like a Navi first round and then you get like, you know, like a pretty good team second round. Maybe you win that, but then like you have no chance of getting through and it's just like no game time. So anyway, like people's issue is the circularity of new teams not getting a chance. I think there should be more of that, but like, I don't think the qualification system is problematic. I think the monetary side of that, the economic side is problematic because it just makes it really hard for anybody else to compete. But, and to me, this is the more interesting angle that like that, I think most people agree with, like you could talk to almost anybody about that. And they'd say like, yeah, that's problematic. Um, you know, like maybe you would solve it by paying pe paying teams after each individual season. And then it wouldn't be like a fixed partner model. You would just pay them based on like whatever revenue generated. I can tell you the reason players do not want that and teams don't want that is if you do that, then teams don't really have a business unless the players get paid like zero. So like in that case, you actually move into a model where the players don't have these like large guaranteed salaries. And I'm guessing that almost every one of them would rather make like the guaranteed 300 grand a year, 200 grand a year, whatever, than like, you know, make the same expected money but like one year it might be 700 and the other it might be 50. it's hard to live your life that way and so there is like a reality for the players that you also have to deal with but the interesting piece that i've seen nobody talk about really is that the sticker system actually does the exact same thing so let's ignore the qualification um for the majors for a second just like how teams get in there's 24 teams that get the sticker money it's been the lowest you could have made, I think, in the last couple of years has been per major has been like something like 600, 700 grand. I think like for the latest major, everybody's made seven figures, I think. Oh, so really? okay. again, so like, again, let's think that like for the average team, it's 80, 20. Um, I think it's probably, you know, like something like that is probably reasonable. Um, 
it's like 800 grand per major for this one. Like, let's just say you're a good enough team that you make both of them. Like, but, you know, it's only like, you know, maybe it's only one of one of them is like the lower tier that's 700. The other is a million. Like, it's still like a million and a half of extra money. And so you're actually recreating, apart from the qualification, which is not as automatic and not as guaranteed, though you do get benefits from just being better because you get to like a later stage of the qualification system. That's you don't have to battle through like 8,000 rounds of online qualifiers. But you actually end up in the same situation where once you start the system and you're, let's just say, Navi today, they've made all these majors. They've always been like, they're probably the most popular team that exists in the world. So like the, the, the group that they're in is going to make the most money from, from the stickers. Almost yeah, certainly. people don't know. I so, was even told, cause I assumed, oh, it's just like the legend sticker you need to be in. And then everyone told me, no, you just need to be in the one that has Navi in. So like if they're in the bad one, you, you almost want to be in that one's the joke. Cause everyone, if you don't get it, people obviously buy the capsule and it has the Navi one in as well. So essentially, yeah, you just want to be where Navi is. You know, like, you know, if we think about now, like Navi rebuilding, because they just did that and presumably spend like a decent amount of money on buyout, etc. Because these players all came from different teams, even though they're not like the biggest name players, they did come from like other teams that were successful. And I think there were probably other bidders for all those players. Um, And I think that was also reported. Uh, So if you think about it, like for them, like just having simple and also bit like makes it pretty likely that they get in anyway. So like, they just have like a war chest that they can use. Like for them, in many ways, they actually have more to lose by not spending than they have by spending. Because they know that they have like, you know, the honeypot of like two majors again next year, presumably, uh, hopefully, in which case, like that's like a couple million of extra money. And so like- Basically, you, might, you, you know, can spend a million to make two million or get two million yeah, back up. Correct. Yeah, I mean, it's an unexpected value basis. So yeah. like, you'd spend the million to like increase the probability of quality. But as you're that's saying, you'd almost be a like... fool then to actually go cheap and spend 100k because actually you want to maximize your chances you get the two mil instead of just a mil or whatever, right? Correct. And it ends up being circular on a longer term anyway. By the way, like Navi obviously both in ESL and Blast. So like that yes. is like more money going their way in general. And like, you know, they're used to operate out of Ukraine, I'm guessing it's like various countries in Europe now, generally speaking. And so, you know, operating costs might be up a little bit, but like certainly they're lower than for American organizations, yes. for instance, just like salaries in Europe are much lower than in than in the US. Um, and so if you like, if you think about that, like actually you end up in like the same situation, like that's why these teams can't stay together that qualify for the major and make a deep run. Cause like you can't, like it takes a long time to build a sponsorship business that you can get to this level. And like, if you like, by the way, just because if you like, if you pass over some of these things, people won't get them. What you're saying there essentially is, unlike idiot fans, no, into the breach making the major doesn't mean the next day they're like, hello, Samsung, yeah, four million dollars. Like that. As Tommy's saying, you have to build the relationship. You have to get your foot in the door. They have to know who you are. You, you need more than one result. Like you need all that. You've got to build brand exposure. You got to get your socials. Like one one run. Even if, by the way, Game Legend, to be fair, could have won the major in theory. It wouldn't have mattered. They would have been nowhere close. G two didn't even make it to the to the round of eight you know what i mean like the what he's talking about here the momentum g2 has is so insane game of legion even winning the major would only be like step one on the momentum chain as it were right yeah and so if you're one of the players like you get you basically like let's just say pick whatever player that end up going to navi like maybe you make you know maybe they get like some deals there's like some betting company that comes up that's the easiest money would have been crypto a year ago Maybe there's like some other deal and like it's small enough that you get like a nice chunk of the sticker money. So like that's like upside in a way that like maybe you don't get elsewhere. 
like you're still probably making, you know, I'm completely making this up yeah, by sure. the way, based in no way. But like, let's just say you make as you're, you're one of those guys, you make like 100K a year, like good salary. If you're a young guy, like you'll live nicely on that. It's comfortable. You get to save money, whatever. And you have like some upside, but like these guys are not great. Like they don't think that they're actually better than some of the teams that they outplaced. Like they might tell you that like they think that they can beat anybody, but like they're not dumb. Like they know yes. that when they get like lucky bracket draws, like they're probably not making the finals or top four the next time, unless like they actually improve based on like what they were, the level they were playing at. And so like they are not banking on saying, well, we'll make the stickers for sure. Like if, if Navi, Navi, for instance, because that's the example that we've been using, comes to them and says like, hey, how about this? I'll pay you 300 and like, I'll just like de-risk the stickers for you. Like our team will be good enough that like I'll be fine anyway, but like you don't have to take the risk um, and we're getting paid on all this stuff. And then like the final piece, and this is actually where the, the franchise system that ESL and the quasi franchise system that ESL and Blast have matters more than in the revenue actually for for some some purposes is that the players don't want to play for teams that are not in those systems because then you have to spend all your time trying to qualify for yes that is like the one thing that for, for instance like we i give a lot of credit to the job that the ends guys have done just given like the budgets that they work with like how much success they've had over the years the one thing that they have had working for them is the esl slot i think like that would be really really hard without it uh but that at least gets you some at bats uh and also helps you on the margin recruit players because it's just easier for somebody to get to play the big tournaments than if you're on a gamer legion or into the breach or you know name your whatever team yes a couple of points, uh, by the way. Oh, God, I th you keep going. No, right, no, no. Right. Right. I thought a couple of things along the way to say is this. The obvious analogy, because this is where actually, even though Blast is a franchise system, because they have a couple of spots that go to the finals that do come from the showdown and the open circuit, I actually think the more appropriate analogy is essentially the English Premier League in football. Because if people don't know, because the Premier League itself, you get the money from the TV deal, which is basically what like the bottom teams live off. And then the top teams already have the insane sponsor deals, essentially the Navi type things as well. And they just buy all the best players. Like famously, I'll give you a quick example, right? My favorite team is Liverpool, but the problem is they don't have as much money as Manchester City. So even if we're like this close to them, I always have to tell like my family, like, yeah, but they're just going to buy like three mega players next year. We're not. And then if one of those players works out, they're better than us again. You know what I mean? Like we essentially, we, we can never do it, overtake them. And it's famous that even the teams who are at the bottom who get relegated out of the Premier, that's not even a franchise system, you can get relegated. But you got relegated off a year where you made all that and you still have certain deals. And when you go down to the next division, the likelihood you go back up is insane. And in fact, in that system, they even made a thing called parachute payments, where if you got put down, you got like a bit of extra money to give you a chance to come back up. It's essentially like what we're talking about here. Like once you get the role going and you've got a big enough team with good players and enough money and you got their rev coming in, it's just so hard for the small team to ever overtake it. And if they did, like the Game of Legion example or Apex, your best player just goes. He gets signed by the big team. In fact, stupid thing is, really, if your team's close to mine, I should just sign your best player next year if I've got more money than you. Like, as you say, especially if I get back into the premiership, like the plus EV anglers, I'm spending like 300k, which might be crazy for this guy. But then I get in to get the millions from the premiership. Well, I gave a random number that I haven't followed football in years, but you get the premise. The other thing I would throw in there is this. When people view this, they make this classic mistake, which is they act like this is... Premier Football or NFL or NBA, where the franchise is one sport and one team. Like the Lakers don't have a choice, Tommy, to go, you know what? 
not feeling NBA breakdown. I think we're going to go be an NFL team. Like, that's not a thing. You can't do that. That is literally what you can do in eSports with massive multi-game eSports teams. So one thing I will say, because we'll shade to this later, like we're talking like giving the Navi example. But I can tell you right now, when we talk about Flashpoint, I know from like actual reality that if it if the teams don't think it's worth it to spend to be in and actually like it, they don't get enough rev back, they will just say, you know what? I'm just leaving CSGO. Peace. I'm actually a big org. I've got loads of money. I'm an American org. But maybe I just go and I play the obvious example right now. This is where Valorant does fuck CSGO. If I'm an American org, I want to be in VCT. There's no buy-in, but I get some rev share. Like, that's a better deal, potentially. Maybe the salaries are less than CSGO. You can see how in that scenario, if you're a fan, it's no longer just CSGO on which teams are here. You're also, for the top teams, you have to give them a value proposition. You have to say, you have to give them a reason to stick around, basically. Yeah, and I mean, I'll make one joke before responding seriously, which is like, the parachute payment equivalent for Counter-Strike is how Virgis Pro used to get into every IEM after failing to qualify. That's the parachute payment equivalent for esports. This is the Polish sure. team in the 1.6 days. Yes. Um, so back to back to regular regularly scheduled programming. Um, what was the what was the last thing you said? Um, well, obviously, like you, you need to give it, especially a big American teams. It's not as simple as telling oh, them yeah, like yeah. work out the finances. Yeah. Like if they don't think the deal's good enough, and there's other esports, they'll just put their money elsewhere. Well, so and then like in the like semi-locked systems of ESL and Blast, you actually end up with teams that don't put their money elsewhere, but they just spend so little money yep. or, that, or, you know, like spend so little amount, like a cynically focusing it. on it, that like yes. the team is actually like bad for the product. So yes. there's some teams, um, I'm still associated with the team side of things, so I won't name them myself. You can guess, uh, you can you pull up the Wikipedia, yeah. you can guess. But, but there's teams that like, just like have not been competitive any year. Uh, and by the way, like MIBR hasn't been particularly good last no, couple no, of years. Not. Like, but, but like, you know, like there's no point in spending money if like you know you can't get anything back in return. Um, and so, you by know, the way, like, what you're addressing you're, here also is a problem, right? Which is if you're the bottom teams in the partners thing where you paid and you have the slot and you get revenue, there's also that thing. Like, I'll give you the obvious example, right? Back in the day in the UK, there used to actually be scenarios when I was too far down in esports money being made, where I actually was in those nightmare brackets for the tax, where it's like if I make a bit more, I'd bump it up and I might actually, I mean, eventually they changed this, but I might actually get to the point where I pay more in the next tax bracket, which means the overall tax means like I sort of made nothing for doing extra work and so it's like the obvious cynical angle is like well then i'll just stay like here there's no point going past so what tommy's also talking about is if i'm the team who has the spot but my team's terrible and i'm min maxing the salaries unless i could essentially get like nico and guarantee some results I wouldn't spend half of Nico because half of Nico might not guarantee the results but now i just spend way more for the exact same amount of revenue yeah i mean like it's it's why like, like there's, a, there's the opposite like, of a sweet spot essentially there's like a sour spot as it were yeah know? yeah i mean like the the worst part it's like to, to speak in sports metaphors like the worst part to spend a lot of money to like look yourself in is to be like a 45 win nba team yes like that gets you absolutely nothing like maybe you make the first just miss the playoffs or make the first, the first one yes exactly yeah. And you get and you get blown out. You'll make a little bit of money from like the two two home games that you have before you get absolutely blasted and just like destroyed and sent home packing but like, what are you actually doing with it? You have a high payroll. You there's like no way to escape. You have no cap room. Like, what? Like, what are you doing? There, there's no way to just like escape that. And so, I don't. So I guess like first of all, to reverse back a little bit to like the commentary about like maybe you should like remove some of the some of the leagues or like restructure them. One like, I think people are in for a 
harsh surprise if that happens as to like what happens to the players um, around whom all of this like is still actually built. Like that's that's I mean, as why you're saying, you wouldn't be able to justify the same salaries, right? So some of them just get slashed immediately. Yeah, no. Yeah, I mean, no chance. Um, like you can't. Like if all of a sudden, you know, like especially by the way now when it's really hard to raise money, like the markets have been absolutely dead for like the last like eighteen months. Like anybody can look at how many news stories there have been from name your big American organization raising money now versus how many there were like every six months in twenty eighteen through twenty early twenty twenty before COVID started. Um, it's I don't think there's a lot of teams who are willing to just like shoulder big losses operating for like some future growth. I think there's a bit more of that now, which is why you saw this like surprisingly active off season because of CS2 coming out. So like people have like renewed hopes of even I think so it's though. I agree. I was actually surprised how much roster mania there was. But I'll also say this again, without naming names, spoiler, look at some of the massive orgs where they didn't go and sign the really big players that are available. They did just sign some cynical like Eastern European guy here or like tier two guy. That, by the way, that's implied. I, even if they tell you in a vlog, guys, that they scouted him and he's the next bet, they know that you're supposed to actually sign like electronic. They know you're not really supposed to gamble on this guy who like might be electronic. Like they, that's just them like finding an excuse to not have to spend a massive budget now. Yeah. Well, I mean, that that started some number of years ago, which is why it was funny, because, you know, originally when like for years and years and years, and I think the French G2 was a good example of this, like teams used to get paid the same amount of money. Like it was it was industry yes. standard. But if you played on whatever team, everybody was on the same salary. And like that was thought to help with issues in like roles, like, you know, the support players wouldn't be so unhappy. They'd just be happy doing their role because they're getting paid the same as a star. Like they don't have to worry about stats so long as they yes. stay on the team, they'll be fine. Um, and then at some point, people just realize, like, hey, as it turns out, like, Shocks and Smiths are not worth the same amount of money. So, like, maybe, like, maybe they should get paid a different amount. Like, presumably, at some point, somebody was like, hey, Shocks, like, do you want to make, you know, do you want to make more money? The way you make more money is you take teammates that are willing to take less money, and we yes. can have the same budget. Um, we can have the same budget, but more money goes to the people who provide more of the value. By the way, the really cynical angle the there, and I don't, this is going to like, it's like I'm telling them Santa Claus doesn't exist now. You know how everyone's going, it's brilliant that we've got all these academy players and they get promoted. Like, I'd look into what their contracts are like because I won't say teams again, you can already guess. There's teams where, as far as I know, there were some massive star players who make, you can imagine, the top salaries in the game. And then they were playing with the guy next to them who's on his academy contract or a slightly buffed up one. And he makes like, for real, like a tenth of what that guy makes and that's how they balance it out and the fan doesn't know because they go just get rid of him and sign another good player and it's like the team's almost like that's exactly what i'm not going to do that's actually my whole plan is to have that guy to, to offset the yeah. cost like you're saying well, well that's what well that's what you have to do like if you think about what nip did when uh they signed device from astralis yes. like astralis is public so you could see they paid 700 grand like it was actually disclosed like that's a, that's a massive buyout say, to pay yeah. for a player um and so like you can't have then have five players to make like 30, 40 K, yes. whatever, you know, uh, I'm, t I'm guessing device actually probably took a pay cut to like go there. Cause he wanted to still be on like 20 K minimum. Surely, you, you know, know, yeah, exactly. But you know, like if he's, but if he's making like 300 K, like there's still somebody who's making yes. substantially less to like get the thing to balance at least yes. a little bit. And so the other thing that resulted from that, and like, it's funny because you and I both know, like players really care about salary. That's always been the one thing. Like I told you yeah. many like, Raw negotiations, like, the king. like yeah, like you, you, you like you can offer like all these other things, like you know, like whatever else, and like the only thing people remember is salary because that's the other thing that they talk to their friends about on other teams. Yes. And, like, but, but nobody's gonna think like, well, like, yeah, I get housing in like one of the one of the most expensive places to live in the world for free. 
somebody else lives in like a cheap European country in their own apartment, but all they hear is the salary number. Yes. And like that dictates everything, like whether they feel underpaid or properly compensated for what they're doing. And like, you know, they'll look at the Angel TV ratings from one event where somebody played five maps, somebody played 20 and like, well, like what, like, look at my stats. I'm, I'm so good. Like, why, why am I not getting paid more? Uh, it doesn't obviously uh, quite work that way in, in reality. Um, but so I guess the point that I was getting to is like, I just don't, th- oh, so I, so I think when people started pushing for higher salaries, like that is what drove the academy system. Like people talk about the academy system, like, you know, you have to like support the grassroots. Like that's all true. You do like, you need a way though. Like the academy system is actually like generally not very good for that. Cause you can't play tournaments. Yep. Like it's only good for like giving you structure. So like, you know, you don't come from FPL, you come from like somebody having told you like how to roughly work in a team environment. Um, but like, that is like what led to where we are. We're like, you look like some of these teams, they'll pick up players from Academy. Like there's now many examples who like, they just let in from day one. And like that, and like there's, I'm hundred percent sure that there's big difference in like how the other players feel. Cause like the old player might be much better at communication. He might just be like more pleasant person to be around. Like he's been there for like five years. Like, you know, he has the same friends, whatever. Like there's like other stuff that matters. But from like playing perspective, just like think how quickly like Bit got really good. Think how quickly like Monesi was just like a star at the top level. And then like, just think about like, oh, like the, you know, fourth and fifth guys who were just like slotted in and were like, fine. Like they didn't make a difference, but like the guy they were replacing wasn't making a difference either. And like, if you're now the team and you're like, wait, so, you know, like some of the people who have been benched on Astralis for like, who knows how long now, like, they're probably making offload the, off, off of the like the most expensive extensions that they had, which they did like at the peak of the site, you know, at the very peak, like when they were the absolute best had been for a while. I'm guessing they make, I don't know actually, but like I'm guessing they make upwards of 30 grand a month. Yes. And so like, and so like now you're telling me, uh, me being in this case, like one of the people running Australia is like, now you're telling me that I could sign somebody from Academy for 5K a month and like nobody noticed it. Like it's all the same. Like what? Um, and so, the other thing that we'll get as a result of this, and certainly the direction that it'll that it'll go to even more if there's any change in like how the franchise systems work, or like how the st- how the stickers work, or like there's like you know less visibility to that, um, is that you're just not going to be able to guarantee contract the same way. So I think like what will happen is, uh, and I'm actually somewhat surprised that people haven't done it more, um, is that like you might just start signing kind of one-way contracts where if I'm the, if I'm the player, I might negotiate with you and I might say, okay, like, you know, you'll get, like, you have the option to just like fire me for like two months severance or whatever, you know, like two months severance, whatever. But like in exchange for that, you're just paying me much higher salary. So like, we might think that like under normal conditions of like how everybody else is signing their deals, like my salary should be 30 K a month. And I'll tell you like, listen, like, I'll de-risk it for you. If it's not working out, like you pay me a month of salary and I'm out. Like you don't have to continue paying me, like pretending that I'm like adding values, like playing with the academy team or like sitting on the bench, whatever. But in exchange, you're paying me 5K more a month for the duration. It's that basically I'm like there. the CSGO and, equivalent and like the of what they did in the NFL. People don't know the difference between the NBA and the NFL. In the NBA and the NFL, 
Unless no, you're the massive no, superstar quarterback guy who's just bona fide, you're the MVP, all that crap. Not only is it not guaranteed, but certain positions, the most famous one, obviously, is running back. The one where you can just get totally like a spinal injury in one season and three more years. It's not like Gilbert Arenas where he just was like, cheers, I'm just being chilling for like 100 million for three years. Like, no, you're, you're just done. Like, the joke is you could really be just like bagging groceries the next year and you're just done in the whole league. So, But the problem is, as we're talking about here, as, to tie it all into what you said earlier, essentially, the people who are in real trouble here is old veterans, like, say my mate Kenny S was still playing. Yeah, obviously, he'd only play if you gave him, like, 15, 20K, right? But you'd have to do a deal like this. I can't do a deal where it's like, yeah, Kenny, and here's your two-year deal, and you can't be benched, and you get 20K no matter what, because he might not be star quality. But then on the other end as well, Zipniks is the other example, I'd bet no one will ever sign a Zipniks deal again, where they gave him, like, the bag as, like, the greatest fifth man ever, and then he became a shit fifth man but he's making more money than god because he hasn't got an he hasn't got like he's got guaranteed money essentially so yeah the, those two sorts of people either the bad the supportive elements you're probably going to get these de-risked uh, contracts quite frankly and or if you're an old star you'll get a, a try but you won't be able to just there's none of this thing of like a lot of them will come up you know they say i want to come back for cs2 yeah you can come back forest i'm just not giving you like that fucking contract for two years because what if you're not good after three months you know what i mean i have to there has to be a give and take in the in in the system where we're losing money. And so like, this is actually the part where it's a real shame. Well, I guess I should preface, it's real great that CSPPA went away because that was just an absolute <laughs> death rap, like bad for players, okay. bad for the industry, like bad for everybody. Like everybody is legitimately, objectively better off for CSPPA not being here, except the people who are getting paid. I do notice CSPPA. no players were like, oh, one tier, I'll, never, I'll always remember you. No players even gave a shit, no one even tweeted, what? <laughs> Well, well every, everybody, like, I, I mean, we, we could talk about that all day, but, like, the way people were just like, oh, I guess I'm resigning. Like, we haven't heard about that. Like, like are you kidding me? Like, that's responsibility to you? Like, maybe, like, um, so anyway, like, that is actually, this is actually something where, like, an actual player, I mean, you can't have, like, a full players association for legal reasons because yes. it's the way it's structured, but, like, some kind of representative body for players that actually had the right kind of incentives and actually worked in the player's best interest and not just like protecting like, you know, the top like half a, half a point of people, which is like how the PA was structured previously, actually would be great because I do think like many of the people who are the agents, like I haven't looked at all of their backgrounds, but like I have dealt with some of them. I've like, I don't know that any of them have like any real, like, well, I shouldn't say any of them. I, I don't know that many of them have like any real qualifications to put it this way without saying without saying who but obviously this will give it away the other day they announced an agent for a big agency who's literally just someone's girlfriend that's real you can look that up so i didn't say who but i sort of did didn't i that one so there you go as you say that example so it's not like it's some expert of finance or expert about the game it's someone's fucking girlfriend like a streamer or something like what so, and by the way, if people don't know, everyone who isn't an agent or a player with a big agent fucking hates the agents because the way they do it in CSGO is so predatory, but whatever, keep going. Well, so, I mean, I've even dealt with agents where, like, you can just tell that the way they're signing the deals is, like, a way that, like, encourages, like, that player to be transferred because yes. there might be, like, trade, they're, like, they, they, they just, like, insert, like, trade kickers in drafts that only benefit the agents. Like there might just be like an incremental bonus paid to the agent, like if the players get transferred. And like, I'm sure the players either like barely read the contract, don't really understand it, but don't want to ask because it feels like an authoritative figure who is like yes. on your side. Um, and like, I just think there's a lot of 
kind of just like vampires around who are just like sucking value out of the chain are not helping the players are not giving them the advice that they need and by the way like if you think about who are the agents in like traditional sports it's typically one of two things one it's it's lawyers it's people with a legal background and two it's people who have been around the industry for like decades and like they may they may like lack the training per se for some of it like i don't know what like rob Palinka's like background like education wise is for example but like if you're if you're around the sport for like a decade and then you become an agent like you have a big network you know all the people it's like a more like built up network any or sorry more built up sport anyway so like the kind of the area in which you work is like maybe this in esports it's you know like it's like way past the camera lens because like anything goes to some extent and so you know if you think about you're one of the players and you're trying to figure out like what would actually be good for me like if i were one of the players like i would probably want to have an opinion and say on like what happens to the structure in counter-strike in fact like the you know there should be people who are like representing the players writ large who are talking about who are talking to like these tournament organizers but instead like you just get some people randomly tweeting and even then it's rarely players because they don't want to like upset anybody. It's like talent who are at least outspoken, like whether you agree with them or not, like they'll at least say what they think. Um, but I don't think that actually serves anybody. Um, and instead you get this like kind of a mess where I think it's like even the valve system. I'm like, I, I, I hold like a pretty high opinion of many of the valve people from talking to them at various events, like not for a couple of years now. Cause I, haven't been to a major since I guess I was in Stockholm, but they weren't they weren't there. Uh, but like pre COVID, uh, and I met with them in Seattle a couple of times. And like I think the way they think about it is like generally smart. Like you can reason with them. Like they're not gonna like you just need like to support everything you say with like data points that they can look up and like verify. And like they generally come around. And like if they have views, like you you won't like argue them out of it by just saying like something is this way or should be this way, whatever. Like it needs to be like data driven. Um, and I think they're like pretty good about that. And like their one big issue always was like the circularity of the HL TV ranking, which like I agree, like that that is circular. And I think the ESL system is circular and the blast system is circular. Like I think those are all issues. But I think the thing that nobody really talks about is that the major system is circular too. Um, but I don't think you can have none of it. And I think the major system is actually what kind of proves that you can have like zero circularity, like some of it you need. The only way you can do that is that you just like radically change the ecosystem where you essentially just have like one league, something like that, where you like completely change it. I don't think anybody wants to do it. I don't think that would be good. Um, I don't think there's like any chance of it even happening. But when you think about like how to distribute the sticker cash from Valve, if not through like qualifying for the event, you kind of run up to the problem of like, okay, then like what should ESL do? Like, should they just like, should they just like invite the last like last seasons, whatever top teams, then run qualifiers and then like pay the money out anyway? I don't think that like really changes the outcome. I think you end up in like essentially the same. The only thing that really changes is there's less job security for some players and there's more variance in player incomes. And like we can argue over like whether that's good or bad, like competitively it's better because you get better teams. But I think like if you're a player, that basically shrinks that that would essentially shrink the number of teams that you could play on and make like a comfortable living where like you know that like you'll be able to save money and you'll be in like a good spot to then like do something else when you're older and you know like a couple years out like go back to college or whatever figure out like an actual post playing career career um you know like if you don't have these things like i think that number of teams really shrinks and the and the level of income really shrinks and 
that's less of a problem if you are from, you know, like the ex-CIS countries, like if you're from Ukraine, if you're, or like the ex-Soviet countries, you're from like Poland, or if you come from like some of the other like middle uh, central European countries, like the cost of living is so cheap that you can still do it. Um, on the other hand, like if you're American, like it's going to be really tough. Like you basically have to live in like a flyover state yes. uh, to like oversimplify a little bit because like the cost of living on the coasts is just too high. Uh, and so like the cost of living like in LA is probably 10 issue. times Ukraine, I'm guessing. Yeah, I would, I would be but, surprised. But you might be acting, competing for the same salary that. in this scenario, the same Correct. money, et cetera. Yes. Correct. Correct. Um, and, and by the way, like the, the North America piece is interesting because I think everybody would want, would want Counter-Strike to be big in North America because it's just like a more valuable media market. The issue is that it's not really. And I think there's two factors, one of which is that like it's an old game and CS2 might actually be help because that'll, you know, bring a bunch of the other FPS players to that. I think, uh, you know, it's like a, it's obviously like a very, very developed and rich country. So I think like the people who play on PCs, like they're more likely, generally speaking, to play like the newest and flashiest games instead of like a 10 year old game. And I think people play more on consoles because that's also like a developed country thing more so than more so than uh, emerging markets. Um, and so I think as a result, I think it's hard to get that to the same level. But if you don't even like try to do it, you're actually moving more and more to the kind of the less le like lower ARPU, so lower average revenue per user markets. Like right now, Brazil is easiest, the e easily the largest uh, esports market outside of China. Like no question about it. I guess like there might be like some Southeast Asia market that's big for Dota, like Indonesia, right. that like theoretically has more viewers. Like I, you know, I'm not, I don't know that yeah, market yeah, sure. well enough. Um, but like for for Counter Strike, for instance, like no no market comes close to Brazil. That like that's why when you look at the viewership numbers, it's like whichever Brazilian teams played the most popular team from other country, like that's the most popular match. And most of the viewership is from the Brazilian stream. It's not, or the Portuguese stream, I guess. Um, it's not from the English speaking mainstream. I've got a quick question to ask you. Look, obviously people hate to hear this because they, here's what's funny. Everyone in theory would agree with me on the basis, like, let's make like a meritocracy. It's how good you are. But then they don't because then they want all these like safety nets and all these like share the money. So another thing, right? It's kind of a meritocracy, which is if we're in an ecosystem, that are your, here's another key thing you're making a point of here. We're in a shared ecosystem and not everyone brings the same to the table. I mean, this is obviously what in the NBA, the Lakers would say. They would say like, I don't care Milwaukee books. Like we, we bring more to the league and share some of it with you. So we should in some way, can't we slant the deal to us in some way? So, I'll ask a similar question because like if people don't understand the other problem with actually just opening it up, like obviously what all bozos want to do is they don't know how many like butterfly effect things you do if you change one thing. So they think it's like, oh, just open it up. So into the breach apex and fucking game legion could be in blast problem solved. And now it's brilliant, but they don't realize like technically, as I pointed out earlier, like, it was actually bad for the major that fucking Game of Legion beat Heroic and it wasn't Heroic Vitality in the final. And it's even worse, by the way, when teams like Na'Vi and Fury don't even make the playoffs. Like, the actual joke is, the actual dream final for viewership will probably beat Na'Vi versus Furia. Irrelevant to how good they are, even if they're like the 10th and 11th best team in the world, because actually for the whole ecosystem, it would pump all the viewership up, the attention, the sponsor eyeballs. Like, in theory, also, markets and teams are bringing an uneven sort of value proposition to leagues, right? Yeah, for sure. And the EPL system, at least like, 
originally, which is the documents that I think Richard reported on, and they're available online so people can look. There's like the like the matrix of how the revenue share distribution works, like percentages based off the to annual total. Like that's very much performance based. The blast system, I think, was like partially performance based and partially just like fixed per team. Um, but like, you know, the the real question is not like where you fall within that. It's it's like you know, it's like doesn't really matter whether you make the the challenger stickers or the legend or the legend stickers. Like the question really is like it's binary. Like are you there or are you not? Uh, that's like that's where it all gets decided. Because at the margin, the difference is so large compared to the cost base. There's um there's an interesting way to think about it, which is that the NBA obviously does revenue share, like media rights share, depending on markets, partially mostly because they have like the uh, RSN model, so that they have the regional sports networks. Which we'll see what happens to that now as people shift more to streaming. And uh, one of them just went bankrupt last year. If people don't know, essentially so the point is like it's like KCAL nine or whatever in LA shows all the Lakers games, but then only the big games are televised, etc. And so I'm guessing they have like a, a similar like percentage based thing. So for example, if you're the small market team that's not even going to be on the nationalized thing, you probably get less of the percent of the media rights or something, right? Correct. You you get less less games on national TV, and then also you sell your local market rights yourself. Like if you're Oklahoma right. City Thunder, like you're you know it's a small market, yes. and with less purchasing power, so it, you know people yes. will just like pay less for it than in Los Angeles or yes. New York or Chicago. Uh, those are just the biggest media markets in the U.S. And so, like that is like one end of it. But then you think about NFL. Like one of the things that made NFL successful is that like they just like split it. It's everybody gets the same. Like the Cowboys get the same. It's like oh, name your right. like random random okay. franchise nobody's nobody's ever heard about. And like that I think is like why you why that work that model works. Like that's what allowed it to have this like a you know broader model. And I think it makes sense for one of the reasons that I think it makes sense for football is that there's just so much more variance on a year to year basis because yes. the seasons are shorter. You know, like it's it's not like you don't play eighty games much as like hundred and sixty for baseball. You know, you play 17 now previously 16 plus like whatever you get to the playoffs which is a smaller portion of the total league and so like it could work both ways but the one key distinction that is very different is that neither one of these are open circuits there's a fixed number of teams and like that fixed number like whatever happens to the sport is what you're betting on like the sport like that gets impacted by like consumer preferences by like the star players to get in and like draw new audiences in from like outside etc but like you're really betting on the sport is what you're betting on. Whereas like if you're an investor in the Counter-Strike team, you're betting on Counter-Strike, uh, but you're also betting on like that specific team. Cause like Counter-Strike might become the next football in, you know, like through CS2 and then like CS3 yeah, sure later on. Like yeah. whenever we're in our seventies, like that might just be like one of the games that has, that is like a sport, like viewed as like one of the big ones. Um, and like, you might still lose if you're in Counter-Strike all that time, because you might just like not pick any of the ones. Like maybe it stays open circuit forever and like you're always on the fringes and like you can never quite get there. Um, and I think the open circuit worked better when the cost structures were lower before a bunch of investor money came in. Because if you think back to like the 1.6 days, like the, you know, like when I played on EG, like our salary was like 1500 bucks a month. Like, you know, we got like housing, but like we got like nothing on top of that. And then like we, if we did well, like we might win like, you know, like, so we'd make like 20 grand a year or whatever. And then like, we might make like 50 grand or like a hundred grand in prize money if we did really well. Like that's where the, that's where it shifted. But there was like very little risk to like <coughs> ongoing 
year to year operation. Cause like if the cost is like 20 grand a player, you have five players, like it's a hundred K. So, you know, I don't know what the Intel deal was, for instance, or the most monster energy deal that EG had at the time. But like, I'm guessing that there was like pretty ample coverage and like some money left over for other stuff and you were never really at risk. Um, Cause like the prize money mostly went to the players. Like we got to keep almost all of it. And so like the variability was pretty low. Like it, it'll impact your sponsorship sales for next year if your team sucks and like doesn't perform and like people are not interested in it. But like the, the economic outcome for you as a team owner or the team operator, like it's pretty small small uh band also you know, when the like scale a, a for all the player the salaries case. is that low and the buyouts back then were either zero sometimes you could even just steal a player no one take it to call or you pay like 20k or 50k even in early csgo if you have that it also means you could if you're like a top top team you have to be an actual moron to never get back to the top because you could take like three four five chances you could just keep playing changing players whereas now also you have to be right like this is the point that actually Kassad made to me about the g2 team it was actually crazy that they signed JKS when they'd already done the monastery deal and they'd gotten in Alexi B and they'd done like the fucking extent like they'd already spent their budget for the Yerbeski and then they were like right we need to buy another two players like you only get a few chances now so also the variance on your players having to work if they're a big site is enormous now like back in the day you know what it was dude there was teams in 1.6 I'm trying to think of some of the mad ones there was that one where like um, there's been teams for sure where people have played in a team for a month and you just fire them. You're like, he's not good enough to fire him. Like you'd get six months now before they fire. Cause they have to, you have to like, at that point you're in for a penny in for a pound, right? You may as well just fucking ride it out and see if he gets good or not. But yeah. So the, so like at the margin, like now, like one of the top teams, like your payroll might be million and a half. Like, I think like at the peak when, for example, like our MIBR team, like our payroll was more than that because we had a coach and a team manager that were like fairly expensive as well sure. and then like we paid for their housing in california and then you know like boot camp stuff like that like you easily run the annual budget to like upwards of two million like easily if you have one of those teams and so now you know like sponsorships is still a pretty big part of the business for almost every team like astralis discloses so you can actually actually see it but if you look if you think about traditional sports like it's media rights. Like the money comes from media rights. Like sponsorships will like that doesn't scale. It's not a business that scale. Like either we find a way to make money off of media rights, or like you, I don't know how you take like another big leap to like the next level. And so as a result, like think about all the teams that were betting on like big crypto deals that they got a year ago, but then just like disappeared and there was no recourse. Like you can sue some entity like who knows where that's running out of cash anyway, and like that is probably not even going to respond to yes. your lawsuit. Like that does nothing for you. Maybe you just spend like a bunch of money, lock yourself into like a cost structure that's like a couple million a year. And now like, let's imagine that we just like take apart the quasi franchise system. And now like the revenue share goes away too. And like now all of a sudden you lost, like maybe it's a crypto deal for 3 million of which like you like soft think allocated that like a million is for Counter-Strike, the other is League of Legends or Valorant or whatever. So I guess those are somewhat restricted. Um, and so then like you have like a million, a million and a half from revenue share from the franchise leagues. And like, let's just say like people are unhappy, that gets shut down. You don't have that either. Now, all of a sudden, like, let's just, you know, compound it. Like, like you said, you signed a player that didn't work out. Like now you have to make another. So like now you're paying a buyout and the salary is high. And like, like you actually get to a place where it's really hard to run something. And so like, then what do you do as a team owner? Like one, you need like more money to work with. If you can't get the money, what do you have to do? Like you have to cut costs. Like that's the only thing that you can do. Cause what's worse than like, what's worse than like not doing well is like 
no longer being in business, then you know that you can't rebound either. You can never do well again. Um, and so like, those are some of the things that I think people don't really think about or appreciate um, when they think, when they kind of think about like what the ecosystem should look like, how it should be structured, like what teams should be doing. Uh, I guess the other one more point that I was going to make on you making the JKS point is I don't know that situation. So like it might well be like not at all relevant to that. But there are situations now where because people do have guaranteed contracts um, and in many countries, like I think teams are either they know that they actually are like legally valid and like they can just really get out or like, you know, they just want to sign players in the future, too. So they don't want to just like tell the people to pounce that and like wait to get sued. As a result, like they actually do pay these guys when they're sitting on the bench, like sometimes for like six months or for like a year, just to like sit on the bench and like play FPL pugs against like usually nothing now that like streaming isn't even a thing on the side. Um, so, like you know, in some of these situations, and no idea whether at all applicable to JKS, but like in some of these situations, like you actually have teams that would like love to get like offload players at places. Like there was a. There was a guy on Optic when we um, when we bought the parent company of Optic in 2019 who just like refused to go to teams. Like, like I already know what it is. But yeah. <laughs> uh, like like when we when when we benched um, when we benched Tarek from MIBR, like he like his initial stance was like, no, I'm just going to stream. Like I don't want to go anywhere. Um, and we convinced him. Uh, to go places that was actually I think good for him because he yeah, got into like a very good team yeah. and I think it helped him like now he's obviously doing great um, but like for a bit he was like no I don't want to go anywhere like I'm not going to sign a deal with somebody else like fuck off like that's I don't want to do that I just want to be a home and stream and like get paid by the way a couple of angles I want to also bring up the obvious stumbling block for the media rights deal this is how fucked the scene is if you're a fan because the most obvious thing immediately, because it's just the only model that can work at the moment, because let's be real, right? The reason why you can't do it like sports is because the national television don't give a fuck about esports. Like NBC isn't coming to sign ESL Pro League. The whatever Sky Sports in the UK isn't going to sign Blast Premier to there. So you're not going to get the one where just the subscriber pays for it. It's going to have to be something like UFC, direct pay-per-view. Or the other angle, because that's the fan paying, is you've got to have these platforms. Like when Kick comes along, you have to go to Kick, bit like ESL did in the past with Facebook and YouTube, and you've got to go, right, do you want to pay a bit more to take the season of ESL Pro League and we'll show you these numbers? And then maybe, because they want to expand their portfolio, they say, okay, we'll do it. That's why we'll allocate our, our spend for this season. But the problem now is this. In the past, I actually would say that it would actually, in theory, this is where teams could get fucked by the TO. Because if you're ESL, in theory, you could just say, yeah, I'm going to do that because I get more money from the initial broadcast rights, which at the time I didn't even have to split in the same way. And so it doesn't matter that your deals are all sponsorship deals. But even ESL's deals are sponsorship deals. So if the team org is doing sponsor deals as their primary income, and the TO does sponsor deals as their primary income, in the short term, they're always, unfortunately, going to gamble on just the highest viewership, which is just going to be Twitch for free. It's never going to be getting the broadcast rights. So at the moment, people would also have to be able to sort of gamble years into the future to do what you need to. Because essentially, you have to like rip the bandage off, right? You've got to just do all in one go now. And you've got to go either it's pay-per-view tomorrow, which would be a massive gamble, or we're just going to say, look, all sorry, sponsors, the numbers are actually going to be way low because I have to go to this other platform to generate the other income, which they're not going to wear that either. So it's that's the problem at the moment. It feels like in CSGO, people just don't, they don't even want to think about that. They're just ignoring it, you know. There's a fire in the other room but they're just pretending as long as I've got this room yet, it's okay. Well, one, one thing that like, 
I think was like a long running thing uh, was that until the Saudis bought ESL, like ESL was like, it's like, or I guess like also before MTG bought them, I guess like, you know, they would have had to make like meaningful cuts in the MTG case or that era. Um, but like, at least they have the backing of a bigger company. But like, let's just say before MTG bought ESL, like if Intel pulled out of sponsoring esports, like ESL would have been dead. Yes. Like that, even now, I don't know what the exact percentage is, but like even like before the deal, like Intel was like a much larger proportion of total ESL revenue than I think anybody thinks. Um, and so like that, that is like the struggle with being so tied to a sponsor. And like, I think in the case of ESL, like, you know, that is like a well-built sponsorship business in the case of Intel, in the sense that like, you don't get to those dollar levels on like year one, like the way it works. It's like oh, no, they started sure. low in like 2000 or, you know, whenever they brought the first deal when it was like turtle events. And then like they kept building and building and building. And then they launched like Intel Extreme Masters and then like all this other stuff around Intel and that, you I know. I mean, spoiler, there's a reason why like, Flashpoint wasn't sponsored by Intel. It doesn't matter how many good teams we had or how many orgs. Like, we, we don't have a 20-year business relationship where they go, oh, hello, whatever your name, Franz from Germany. I know you for the 10 years. Like, we, we were the first people coming into the table. And they can't also know, obviously, if you're Intel, ESL can look and you can go, well, they've been there decades. Like, we're like, this is year one. Like, I'm sorry, if people are fans, like, it's not a movie. People, most things in life, the saddest realization I had about business is, this is why it is really like the degree you get and where you went and who you know. It's all who you know. And if you have a past relationship, that's good. You don't gamble. I know players do this, but you don't actually gamble for slightly more if it's with some random that you don't know. You stick with the guy you know and you do the deal that makes sense with him because you're probably going to, more likely you get the deal you want, you get the results you want because he's reliable. You've got a pre-exist relationship. Well, I mean, like, look, um, there's a joke in there about a certain old 1.16 that always did gamble for a little bit more every single time and notoriously never worked out, essentially. Um the uh some would say they indeed did meet their makers there you go that's a really old school joke so no one will even know it mate but it's actually straight fire there you go. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's pretty good um so like but but so like if we think about other solutions quote unquote for like what the issues that people perceive with the current system then it's like i actually am surprised that people are not people are not like talking more about it like isn't the obvious solution then for like what ESL and Blast should be doing. Um, and like, you know, I don't know that you can get everybody to sign off on it and like actually do it, which is the problem, which is why we couldn't do it on Flashpoint once it wasn't done at the outset, which was like what actually do the project. Yep. But like, isn't the actual solution to just make it prohibitive for people to operate teams that are not good? Like if the issue is that like there's too many good players outside of the top teams, like isn't the problem then like you don't need to get all the teams to the league you need to get the players to the league basically so like, if people remember need, we did that famous thing that we market it's just we never got to do it partly because it went online and everyone's cutting the costs if you remember we were going to make essentially a penalty that if your team was below a certain hltv ranking which as tommy points out essentially is quite strongly tied to having good enough players because the, the good players in counter-strike win the games therefore you get higher up what we were going to do is we were going to actually fine you per month a certain fee and it would actually incentivize you to literally do a cost 
lost balance of like, wait a minute, if I go five months, that's 500k, why don't I just spend 300k and buy this player and get good immediately? So essentially what Tommy's saying here is you don't actually have to fix it so that Into the Breach can get enough money to compete with G2 and displace them in Blast. What you need to do, I mean, G2's a bad example. I should have given EG, obviously. EG, because Into the Breach is better than EG in theory, right? What you need to do is incentivize EG who's making them millions in revenue. Fucking just buy the best players from Into the Breach. Then problem solved, isn't it? That's basically like the, the short, that's the quickest and shortest way to solve the problem without fixing the entire ecosystem. You just make the people who currently do benefit from the circular system actually sort of like do it smarter, basically. Be be better at acquiring talent. Yeah, I mean, like that's the there are obviously there are brands that matter. Um, like there's no question about it. But like ultimately, you need the players, and yes. so like if the if the goal is to get the players to play in the league then like you need incentive structures that lead to those players landing there. And like, by the way, this is again, like goes back to something we talked about because it's obviously a complicated issue. But one other thing is like, you know, I'm sure there's like horrible contracts being signed every day for like academy teams like you alluded to. And I even think that there's bad contracts being signed by a bunch of players who get like their first shot at like a big team because that's, you know, they like presumably at least think that there's no leverage. Yep. Um, but that like, that is like again one thing where if you had like a real PA, like somebody that was like advocating for the players and like helping them as a whole collectively, I think you could get to better places. Because, like, I think the like I think the way a lot of it works is like people sign deals one way or another at some point, and then like everybody like stuck to that same format instead of something that might actually work better with them. And like if you think about you think about everything really like progress always happens at the margins in like everything everything in life um and like if you think about how um i follow nba the closest out of like all the traditional sports so like if you think about how like the player market has shifted in the nba setting aside like how players now control it to like a comical degree where it's like completely ruined um there was uh there was a report i think it was last night or earlier today um that um danny ainge so the jazz signed uh, the backup center of the Sixers, uh, something Reed, to like this deal where like, you know, like the guaranteed salary, it's all guaranteed generally in the NBA, it's like roughly what the Sixers would pay. But then, because the Jazz suck and like are unlikely to get good, they have like a $10 million kicker if they make the conference semifinals, which is like a massive poison pill that like just like kills the Sixers because they know that actually kills them. Like for them not making the conference semis, it's like a massive failure of a season. For the Jazz, like, I don't know. I guess, like, if they somehow landed Lillard and he actually suited up, like, yeah, they'd, you know, maybe be favored to get there, though the West is pretty good. I don't know. Um, but, like, that is, like, the kind of, like, customization that I'm not sure that it's good for the league, but it's certainly good for the Jazz. And I don't know that anybody's doing, like, what's, like, good for them per se in these structures. Because a lot of the time, like, they're the takers on these things. And I think for many of the top players, like, they make sufficient amount of money that they actually should be getting good advice like they actually should have a lawyer that they work with and when i say a lawyer i don't mean that like they find law firm x from their you know their city and like they get somebody from there to like review the contract and like give comments i mean like a lawyer who like advises you like somebody who is like you pay them on retainer as if they're your agent and like they just handle things for you and they don't just like answer the question when you ask them they tell you the question that you should be asking because they're actually aligned in that way. Um, and I don't think there's a lot of that. And I think the things like that is where the 
the CSPPA debacle, I think, set people back quite a bit. Because, uh, by the way, like, there's not going to be a new PA until most of the people who are associated with that are affected by it forget about it. Yes. Because nobody's going to trust whatever the new thing is. Yeah, one thing actually I'll also bring up as well that is another way you can fix the salary, especially the buyout angle, because the buyouts are also the killers that stop a lot of the big deals. And if you do them, like I gave the examples of the G2 one, well, G2 and Vitality are the two best examples. They did, like, um, I guess they didn't do the buyout for the actual players from Astralis. I think they came free agents, but obviously G2 did do some buyouts, etc. The problem then is... If the first team doesn't work, the next player you want has a buyout as well, so you have to pay even more. So, Kassad actually made a point, because he knows a lot about real sports. He made a point that one of the stupidest things in CSGO is that even the teams are just working on this raw dollar amount. So, it's like, right, I give you 600,000. And he's like, like, his best example was the Monacy one. Because even though now we know he's amazing, he could have been a bust. And for 600k, for someone who's never played a tier one line, is mental. Like, I don't care if even if they are simple. There are players like simply who are just a bust. It sometimes they can't play online or maybe they're mental or something who fuck knows there's a million factors could happen they don't fit to this team so his point was there was actually a way you could de-risk those buyouts even which is if you're the g2 you don't go i'll pay you 600k you go here's what i'll do i'll give you 300k now and i'll give you either like say a cut of his sticker money if he makes the major or like as you're saying if you make like a tier one final or you win an event you get like 20% extra. It's like, essentially what you say is, I will pay the 600k if everything perfect happens. So I'm, what I'm saying here is like, I'm making it so that like I will pay it, but essentially if he isn't the player that I'm trying to buy, like he doesn't turn out to be that guy, there's a way where it's like, you still got loads, you just didn't get the full amount. It's a way like, and that would actually make like a sort of, a, a, to give and take, I think makes sense. We, like I've done something like that on a couple of deals. So like when we sold, uh, when we sold Cold Zera to FaZe at the end of 2019, or like, I think it was like September, 2019, yeah. Um, like part of the purchase price was tied to how FaZe performed at the next majors after that. Um, I did the, one of the only things that I've ever actually done operationally at ENDS was like negotiating the buyouts of like the 2019 team. So like when we negotiated, when I negotiated the buyout of Ariel from whichever Finnish team that he was playing for at the time, um, like the way, like that was like a pretty low base. And then there were bonuses tied to like if he made like the top 20 like the next year or like if uh like if they placed top x at a major or something like that um i mean the, the funny thing is like there is like <laughs> there are like disincentives in that case so like there was like something about that but i don't remember anymore because it's like years ago there was something specific about that buyout where we were basically just like joking towards the end of the year like these guys better start losing because like at least we get to save like the next like yes. bonus tranche then yes. um but yeah i mean like you can do that and i think it makes sense to do that a lot of the time i think like you eventually get to a similar place to like where sports are and i think like the how it gets resolved in like the nba is going to have big implications on what happens in cs as well but you know this place where like players just like demand to go places or they're gonna be quote unquote, like the damian lillard thing now where he's like he's the loyal guy except like the last couple of years he's always talked about like ah, i don't know whether i should chase rings i know i'm I'm a Portland You know, guy. that's the other thing and, players don't and, and get. And now he's just like, I'm unhappy. Like, I don't know that I'm really... The edge that else. players have is absurd. Not only do they make these enormous salaries, but it's also quite difficult to make the player play. Like, essentially, what he can always choose to do, he wouldn't have to say it. In fact, he'd be a fool to say it. If he said it on camera on writing, then he could maybe sue him. But if he just doesn't say it, but essentially he says to you, like, I politely request I would like to go to FaZe Clan. And you go, uh, well, they haven't offered enough, so they don't meet my amount, so we're going to hold on to you now until they reach... And he just goes... 
let's say he doesn't say this, but then magically you notice he's half as good in all the games. There's no way to prove that. You can't go right with suing you for being half as good because you can't prove whether he's actually half as good or whether he's fucking you to try and pressure his way out. So I don't think people even realise, like fans don't realise, players have so many advantages in the scene right now. I think there's also like more subtle ways to do it. Like, like you know, if you were Ben Simmons and you didn't want to play for the Sixers, like something you might say is like your back hurts. And like, like back in particular is like a thing, like, you know, that's like a part of your body where like, it's not fully understood. Like what can even be psychological. Like, yeah. Say, like, yeah. Yes. Like same with knees, like, like Lonzo currently, like he's out for another season. Like there's something like he's had like the best surgery, like the best surgeons anywhere in the world, like try to fix his knee. And he just has like pain. Like, you know, like that happens. Like you don't like modern medicine still can't fix everything. And so like, what are you going to go? Like you're going to go to him and say like, no, no, no. Like you're lying. Like you're going to have to play. Like, no, that like nobody would ever do that in sports. It's a little bit easier, but like, you could say the same, like it's like mental, whatever, like not feeling well, like, like can't get there. Um, Like there's always like ways around it. Um, I don't think that has gotten very bad in CS. I think like the cold zero piece was probably the like cold zero one was probably actually the biggest, um, like best player who's ever just like refused to play, I think. Uh, to his credit, like when he requested he wanted to go places, like I told him that he's probably going to end up sitting on the bench for a long time. And like, I don't want to hear complaints about like us not accepting some bad offer because he would like to play and he didn't. I, I, I know he complained to other people, but not to us directly. So, uh, but you know, that certainly is like, uh, it's like another issue. And the, uh, you know, there's also like the, I guess the off season piece, I think has gotten better because, you know, people's contracts are maybe ending at like the, you know, more sensible times now. Uh, but there's also, you know, a bit of a like push and pull because if you're a team, like you don't want the players to have contracts ending at the same time. Like you want them different years, you have them at different times a year. Like ideally it wouldn't even be just like the end of the year or like July or whenever the off season starts. Like it would actually be like some guys in September, some guys in March. Like, you know, you'd actually want it to be like as inconvenient yes. as possible. Like you'd want it to be like around the major cycle to like make it harder and harder. Just because like people won't know what you're implying. Point. What he's implying there is that so the player can't like pressure as much. You'd want it to be where if his contract ended like right, like after the RMR, for example, well, is there even a team that can sign him at that point in time? You know what I mean? Maybe they're already set for the yeah. major. Maybe there's no spot. So in that scenario, he's, he's actually way more incentivized to extend with you for maybe less or not the craziest amount or not have a bidding war. Yeah. And by the way, like, again, like, things to be negotiated. Like you can take the position that like a shitty thing to do by a team. Like, yeah. On the other hand, like the players will also do similar things that are good for them. So, you know, like, it's just like you negotiate for, uh, for all the things and see where it lands. But I guess just to go back to the the off season piece a little bit, and we didn't like, we talked about it just being like kind of wild in terms of the, the number of changes. Um, And we talked about the general move to like younger players in general, I think like, partially for like performance, blah, 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 but really mostly cost reasons. I think um, the thing that's very surprising to me, it's like, it doesn't seem like we're very close to getting CS2. Like maybe we still get it at the end of the summer. Cause they said the summer, like, you know, I guess like, they seems to me like it probably like end of the year. Like now they've previewed like at least like half the map pool. So like, you know, I think it's like getting closer. I suspect that they'll end up doing like every single map in the pool in the test to like fix right. the most glaring mistakes yes. before. So like, we're definitely not getting it for like Cologne, which is yes. what people did in the beginning of the summer. Um, so, you know, like, I don't think the shift is going to be that big. It's like 
similar engine. It feels pretty similar. It's not the, like it's nothing like the shift from 1.6 to the source or 1.6 to go. Like it's nothing like that. So like people, first of all, like don't make that comparison. But like there are still going to be changes. Like there's going to be like bad habits that need to be unlearned from go and like new habits. And like there's going to be new players that cycle in. And so I was very surprised. Um, and I think it probably speaks to like how much people care about like making making the majors, for instance. I like it speaks to uh, sorry the the fact that like people spend so much to revamp the rosters now instead of just saying like listen like we'll play out play it out until the end of the year like tell the players that you want to sign like don't sign new deals like and you just like put together whatever teams when you actually have like data from CS two because now you're just guessing at how good people will be. One thing as well, I think people miss is um, wait there one second. Let me just, I'm just double checking someone's what, what player this guy's on because I've got an example I want to give. Basically, if you actually look, one of the things I think people also have ignored because this is actually another area where esports got so unlucky, as well as the crypto market and the fucking VC and all that shit collapsing the ad market. Right, simultaneously, even though it's totally in theory unrelated to esports, obviously that whole Ukraine-Russia conflict has actually also wrecked it because here's the other thing. As you already saw with some of the signings, like, spoiler, notice how some of the signings in the off-season was like um, Rainwalker Water to Team Liquid, Bulgarian player. Ima from the major file, he's a Romanian, let's go straight there. JL, the one that joined Na'Vi, was Lithuanian, right? It's not the player from Sweden or Denmark or these, again, because you can offer these people less to play for a bigger team. Also, the costs are less, right? The, the problem also is, if that conflict hadn't have happened, dude, I am almost certain this insane crop of Russian talent that's just come up this last year or two would have just diasporaed out across American teams. Or like, it's one thing at Cloud9 as a whole Russian team. Like, I think you would have seen these as like the fill players because, that way you could have even had a cheaper player that was actually like, like Wonderful is the best example. I mean, he's from Ukraine, but like he actually could be like your best player, but play, pay for, play for half the American players' costs. Like that could have even been a way to offset it, but you can see that's obviously thrown a massive wrench in it because now there's the bad PR of signing the Russian player and there's like, can he even get all the visas? Does he have to live in Serbia? The whole, there's, there's so many extra like sort of like attached things that that's actually also undercut that. Like there's a world where this would have actually maybe met, let people have cheap talent essentially. Yeah, I mean, that that definitely impacts it. Um, the other thing is that, like, I think it just impacted a bunch of organizations, teams in the region that, like, could no longer oh, sure. support, like, whatever yes. teams they had. You know, like, I'm sure a bunch of teams went, if not out of business, then, like, at least, like, lost a bunch of the money, yes. probably lost people who are working for them. Like, there's, like, all these implications yep. that then flow into, like, what the other teams are doing. Um, and, you know, it goes without saying that, like, after Brazil, the most important market, like broadly speaking, is like Russia and Ukraine yes. for uh, for Counter Strike. Like that is the second biggest audience. Yep. Um, it, I mean, it might even be bigger. It's just that it doesn't drive as much viewership as, yes. as Brazil. Um, actually, it's not because Brazil's population is just so much larger. I'll take that back. 